but 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be starting a series of messages on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And the word incarnation is a theological word that uh, describes the coming of Jesus, God the Son, to this earth to take on a human body that he might be able to die in our place and pay the judgment of our sin for hell. He paid our judgment for us. That is a wonderful truth. The only way he could do that is to become a man to do that. And so that's the incarnation. Now, the incarnation is not, <clears throat> was not an afterthought for God. You know, there's a temptation to think that, well, you know, God saw that man messed up and made a mess of things, and so God's scratching his head trying to think, now, what can I do to fix this problem? It's not an afterthought. We're going to see that this morning. It wasn't an afterthought with God. He did not come up with this great idea after 4,000 years of from the time of creation to the time Christ came to this earth, during that 4,000 years, he finally came up with a genius idea of how to solve man's problem. That wasn't the way it was at all. And we know that God knows everything. And we're going to see that again this morning, that God's understanding is phenomenal. He knows all things. And he knew that man would rebel and sin against him even before he created man. He knew that. And, you know, there's some skeptics who say, well, if God knew that man was going to sin and rebel, why didn't God just make it so man couldn't sin and rebel? Well, then he'd have a puppet, and God didn't want a puppet. God wanted us to be able to have a free will, to be able to choose right and wrong, and otherwise, if he forced us to do what was he wanted us to do all the time, we'd be nothing more than just a puppet that was running by his commands. And so God wants our free will love, but he knew that we would sin. He knew that men would fall into sin, and he knew exactly how he would remedy the problem of man's hellbound destiny. He knew how he would solve that problem, and it was through the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. God himself would come to this earth, take on human flesh, live 33 years on this earth, die a cruel death on the cross, and pay our eternal debt for our sin. Now, when we stop and think about that, even before we dig into what we're looking at this morning, you ponder the fact that God, the creator of the universe, left heaven's glory and came to this earth, submitted himself to a human body. I mean, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, it just boggles my mind. About the only thing that I can think of that even kind of helps me a little bit understand it is to think, and I didn't even create this. This is just something I can picture. You know, you see these little tiny, tiny ants crawling around. And I'm thinking, you know, if I needed to help those poor little ants somehow, and I was willing to become a teeny, tiny little ant and roam around with the little ants so I could help them, I mean, that's maybe kind of a crazy idea, but I mean, it, it was more extreme than that. He, God is everywhere. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He, and then to confine himself into a human body is just phenomenal. And he chose to do that because he knew that man's sin would send him to the lake of fire. Separation from God for all eternity. And you know, that reminds us of something very significant. Sin is very devastating. You know, there's a temptation in our fleshly hearts to think that, well, I'm not really all that bad. 
just this morning I was reading First Timothy chapter 1, and verse 15, the Apostle Paul said that uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul didn't have any hesitation to say, I am a guilty, rotten, wicked sinner that deserves to go to hell. Paul recognized that. He said, I'm the chief of the sinners. And you know, Christ Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. He came, remember Jesus himself said he came not to save the righteous, but sinners. Now when Jesus said, I came not to save the righteous, what was he talking about? He's saying, a person that thinks they're religious and they're good enough and they're alright and they're, they're good in their own eyes, God says, I can't help you. God can only save those who recognize that they are condemned sinners. As I thought about that this morning, as I was pondering it, I thought about the Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer, what did he say when the earthquake took place? And, and he came in and he saw Paul and Silas were still there. And what did he say? Sirs, what must I do to be, what's the next word? Saved. Saved from what? How did he know about this? Saved from what? He's saying, what do I need to do to be saved from hell? Paul evidently had been preaching hellfire, brimstone-type sermons, and he had heard, and he knew that he needed to be saved from hell, and he didn't want to go to hell. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved from that? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so, the incarnation of Christ, God knew our desperate need, and he sent Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to this earth. And this was something that God planned and predicted and performed in eternity past. And that will make your mind spin to think on that for a while. But that's what the Bible says. And we're going to dig into some of that today, so hang on. All right, first of all, let's take a look at here. I want us to notice the incarnation here the, from an eternal standpoint and examine this so that we might be able to better understand the saving grace of God. The first thing I want us to notice here is the incarnation planned. The incarnation planned. God foreordained the incarnation. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 18. We're going to read down through 20, uh, verse number 21. For as much then, sorry, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. He says here that he foreordained this. The word foreordained means to know something before it took place. God knew before it took place that he said he foreordained this before the foundation of the world. Before God created the world, he foreordained, he knew, he foreknew, he knew that man would sin. He knew that the plan of redemption must include the incarnation of Jesus Christ to send him to this earth. God knew before creation 
all about this, that man would rebel against him. He knew of his holiness, and that his holiness would force him to separate from sinful man. You know, folks, if we really grasp the reality of God's holiness, it would change our lives. I wish I could grasp it more fully. God is holy. He has never sinned. He has never done anything that was slightly wrong. And because of His holiness, He must separate from sinners. That means sinners have a problem. we got a major problem. And God knew that to be separated from Him would mean eternal damnation in hell. He knew that. And that's not what He wanted. And He knew that His incarnation was the only solution to man's doom. We see here in verses 18 and 19 again, he says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. See, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, came to this earth to be able to become the God-man to die in my place and to die in your place. That is amazing. Amazing love. And God knew there was no other way to rescue man from hell. Now when you stop and think about that, if God, the sovereign of the universe, knew that there was no other way to rescue you or me from the lake of fire than through the incarnation of Christ, then that has to be the absolutely most significant thing that we can do in our life is to put our trust in Him because that is the only solution for our sins. That's why the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we ask ourselves, when he talks about that, sometimes we get used to religious words. And when he says, whereby we must be saved, saved from what? Well, he's talking about being saved from hell, saved from the lake of fire. He said there's no other way to rescue us from hell than through Jesus Christ. Absolutely important. Now, the eternal, in eternity past, God purposed to fulfill this plan. He purposed that, to fulfill that plan. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11 says, According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. God eternally planned this. Before creation, God said, this is the way I'm going to have to do it. This is what we're going to do. This I'm going to send my son. He's going to become a man. And he, he planned all of that. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. It was planned by God before the world began. That was an offer that God said, I'm going to give to them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And God said He gave it before the world began. Hard for our mind to wrap around that. But that's what God said. In God's timeless mind, Christ 
was slain for our sins before creation. Revelation 13.8 says this, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. He's talking about worshiping the Antichrist or the beast. Uh, he'll worship him whose names are not written in the book of life uh, of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, God is timeless. And we just can't grasp that. Everything we do is time-oriented. But God is timeless. And in God's mind, Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. But beware. Folks, listen. If you read that in any of the new translations, the new translations twist that verse and turn it around so that they say that Christ was not slain before the foundation of the world. But the King James Bible follows the Greek text, and we need to stick to that. Christ was slain in God's mind before the foundation of the world. For years, Christ's incarnation was a mystery. And the term mystery in the Bible refers to facts that God kept secret until he chose to reveal them. It was a mystery to us. It wasn't a mystery to God. God kept them secret. And this is one of those things that he kept secret from us. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26 say this. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. He said it was a mystery until Christ came to this earth, until he was manifested, until he was revealed. And he came to this earth and revealed himself. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. That's why we see in our text verse, verse uh, 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He was made known to you. He came visible to you through his incarnation. And Jesus Christ came here. And it was planned by God before the world began. It was a mystery. Man didn't know anything about that. You ask any of the Old Testament people, and they say, well, we don't really understand what's coming on. I mean, Isaiah gives us a lot of pictures of what Christ was going to do someday. Uh, But it was still a mystery to them. They didn't understand it all. But now we can look back and see it all unfolded. It's how Jesus Christ came to this earth, became a man, that he might die for us. And God revealed this mystery when Christ became a man and lived that sinless life and died on the cross for sinners. All this was planned in eternity past. So the incarnation, the incarnation was planned. Secondly, the incarnation was predicted. It was predicted. The first prediction we see in Scripture was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and he shall bruise his, it, and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's speaking here to Satan and the serpent and their curse for what they did to mankind. And God said that that there's a day coming that the seed of the woman will 
bruise your head. You may bruise his heel. That spoke of the crucifixion that was painful, temporary, not good. But to have his head bruised or crushed was Satan. And one day, God is going to destroy Satan and cast him into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived him was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. One day it's coming. And God has provided salvation through Jesus Christ. And it was predicted way back there in the Garden of Eden. And that there would be that enmity or hatred between Satan and the woman's seed. And one day God would be victorious. Now, many of the Old Testament prophets predicted the incarnation. We won't look at all of them, but just a few of the highlighted ones. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, one that we're very familiar with. Isaiah wrote 700 years before the birth of Christ. He wrote this, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew, writing to describe the incarnation, told us in Matthew chapter 1, in verse number 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. A fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy 700 years earlier. Jesus Christ became the God-man. We find also in Isaiah chapter 9, and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those terms can't refer to anyone but Almighty God. And yet they are referring to Jesus Christ. When else did God come in human flesh? When else did God come to this earth and do all these things? It was through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, one comment that I've mentioned before, but repetition helps us sink in. When you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, and they tell you that uh, the Greek says here that it's a God. So therefore, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. All right? First of all, they are technically... Partly correct. But, point out to them, even though you don't know the Greek, you can check it out in your phone apps and stuff like that. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 18 of the same chapter, do not put a definite article in front of God. In the Greek language, if you were to put a definite article in front of something, the the, it's a specific thing. We kind of do that in English. If I say, bring me a book, you can bring any old book you want. But if I say, bring me that book or the book, it's a specific one. And that's what the Greek does all the time. But it doesn't have to have that when it refers to God, but sometimes it does. And here, it didn't have it there. It just had an A there. Well, nothing in the Greek, they just put nothing, and that's an A. Uh, So they say he's just a God. But it says the same thing in 6 and 12 and 18. In all three of those verses, they would say, oh, no, that's talking about Jehovah. (laughs) Because it's obvious. And yet all four of those constructions are the same. 
So don't let them fool you on that. You be prepared for that if they try to pull that one on you. But then down in John chapter 1 verse 14, he goes on and he says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ became flesh at the incarnation. When he became a man, Jesus took on human flesh. Another prophecy, way back in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. He says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Ooh. Someone's going to come that's been from everlasting. And what, where was this applied? You remember when Herod, the, the wise man, came to Herod and says, where is he that's going to be born king of the Jews? And Herod goes, ooh, I don't know anything about this. And so he calls his wise man, he calls his, his scholars and says, come on, go search the scriptures quick, find out where, this, where, the, where the, ones, the king of the Jews is going to be born. And they went back to, Isaiah, uh, to um, Micah 5.2 and they quoted this verse. And he says, it's going to be in Bethlehem. So he sent them to Bethlehem, and sure enough, that's where they were. He was in Bethlehem. And so this prophecy was fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 53, we won't take the time to read it, but the entire chapter is about the crucifixion of Christ. Now, you can't be crucified if you're not a human. It was part of his incarnation. It was evidence of the incarnation. And so all of these things point us to the predicted incarnation of Jesus Christ. So in eternity past, God planned the incarnation. In eternity past, God predicted the incarnation. But also in eternity past, God performed the incarnation. Performed it. We say, no, it wasn't eternity past. It was 2,000 years ago. Yes, but in God's mind, because God is timeless, it was eternity past. It was a done deal. And just like now, God looks at us and says, you're saved. And yet we're not saved yet. I mean, we're saved because we're in his family, if you know him as our Savior. But the salvation is not finished. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 or 14. He says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, until he comes back and actually takes us with us, we haven't really been fully rescued yet. But in God's eyes, it's a done deal. And so God sees things far different than we do because of his timelessness. But we saw back in our, our text verse, verse 20, who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for you. He was manifest. He was made visible. This prediction was performed. It was fulfilled. And it was fulfilled way back before the foundation of the world. God knew. God planned. God predicted. And God performed the incarnation way back in eternity past. And it wasn't revealed to us. The mystery wasn't uncovered to us. Until Christ actually came and became a man and lived among us 2,000 years ago. The incarnation alone gives us hope. Back in our text verse again, as we continue on in verse 21, he says, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. He says that we have faith and hope Because of the incarnation of Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, paid for our sin, 
went back to heaven and sits down on the right hand of the throne of God. And this, if we will believe it by faith, we can have hope in eternity. We can have hope when we die. We don't have to die in fear and think, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know where I'm going to go. We can say, I know where I'm going because I remember the day that I recognized my sin and I cried out to God and said, oh God, I'm going to die and go to hell. I'm a rotten sinner. Would you please have mercy on me and save me? And he reached out and saved our soul and gave us eternal life. And he says, now you have peace and hope with God. And that is a wonderful blessing. Earlier we saw in verses 18 and 19, very significant verses. He says, for as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. He says, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't be redeemed with silver and gold. You can't purchase it. There's no way you can purchase eternal redemption. And he goes on, he says, from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. He says, you can't get saved by tradition, religious traditions. There's a lot of people in our world today that think they're on the way to heaven because I've always been religious. You ask them, when did you trust Christ? Well, I've always been a Christian. You know, what do you mean, always been a Christian? Well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were Christian. My grandparents were Christian. We've always been Christians. Of course, we're not pagans. What do you think? You know, and they have this idea and they get this religious mentality. But that doesn't save them. He says, we're not saved by the traditions of our fathers. But verse 19, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Why was the lamb at the Passover killed? Remember the first Passover way back in Exodus chapter 11? And as the Passover was being prepared, they were to take a lamb, and it had to be a spotless lamb, and they were to collect that lamb several days beforehand and put him in a pen by himself or tie him up by himself and watch him and look at him, make sure he's not sick, he doesn't have a runny nose, he's, he's perfect, he doesn't have any sores. This guy's a perfect little lamb. And then on the specific time, on the 14th, on the evening of that day, they were to kill that lamb. And that lamb's blood was to be poured into a dish and they were to take hyssop and dip it on that and they were to paint that blood on the lentil of the doorposts. And top and the sides of the doorpost of every house. And when the death angel came through Egypt that night, every house that he saw the blood painted on the door, he passed over. And every house that lacked the blood on the door, the firstborn in that son was killed dead. And the Passover, why? Because of the significance of our sin and because of what Christ did for us. He says he is the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus Christ's blood is the only thing that can wash you clean and wash away your sin and give you eternal life. The only thing that can do that. And it was because of his incarnation. There was no other way. He didn't have blood as God in heaven. He had to take on a human flesh to have blood. And he took on human flesh and and his blood was shed that we might be washed clean. Remember the scriptures tell us in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood is no remission. No remission. The only way, it isn't through religion, it isn't through baptism, it isn't through communion, it isn't through anything else. He said the only thing that can wash you clean is the blood of of Christ. Nothing else. The blood of Jesus. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. 
Redemption is 100% paid by the blood of Christ. And if it can only be received by repenting of our sinfulness and trusting Christ, payment alone. That's the only way to receive it. Repenting. Repentance is a change of mind. A change of mind about the way I am. I meet a lot of people and they say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than a neighbor. I'm pretty good. God says repentance is changing your mind. I'm not a good person. What did Paul say? Remember what Paul said? Before he got saved, Paul thought he was doing right. But when he was confronted by the Spirit of God and he saw himself in God's sight, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. He had a totally change of mind about his sinfulness. And in order for us to be saved, there has to be a change in our mind about our sinfulness and say, God, I am guilty. I am a rotten sinner. If I got what I deserved, I know I'd go to hell. And you know, folks, if you're honest with yourself, you don't have to think long and hard. This is an easy one. You just take one look at your life. You know yourself better than anybody else. And you say, I am a guilty sinner and I deserve to go to hell. Absolutely. I deserve to go to hell. But praise God. Jesus died in my place so that I don't have to. Repentance. Receiving Him as our Savior. We cannot save ourselves. So this morning we've seen the incarnation from eternity's perspective. God planned it in eternity past. He predicted it in eternity past. And He performed it in eternity past. All so that we could have forgiveness of sins. In a home in heaven. And God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why He hasn't come back a long time ago to take us to heaven. It's because He's waiting for those that are still not prepared. And you know, folks, I can't see your hearts. I don't know who's prepared and who's not. So I have to just present it as if maybe you're not prepared. And you need to make that choice and know... Where am I standing before God? Am I truly prepared? Have I repented of my sin? My, do I, am I willing to say, yes, my sin does condemn me. I'm guilty before God. And without Jesus Christ, I have no hope. And then cry out to Him and say, God, would you please save my soul? And He promises He will. And He promises to give us hope in God. If we will do that. We have hope. That's a wonderful truth. Hope. Hope of what? Hope of an eternal life with the Lord in heaven. We can know we have eternal life because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So, this morning we've looked at the incarnation from an eternity perspective. It was planned, predicted, and performed by God long before the creation was even made. Because God is timeless. And God understands all that. Now, we ask ourselves that question of one of the hymns in our book, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus applied to our hearts. That's why the Apostle Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And if we add anything to the blood of Jesus, it negates the whole thing. It's 
Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus I've been good. It isn't Jesus plus I've got baptized. It isn't Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus only. We need to ask God to just make this clear to our hearts. And if you can look in your heart and you say, that's exactly what I did and God has saved my soul and I'm on my way to heaven I have hope in God, then praise God for it and share it with others around you. Just one little testimony as we close. This morning I was on my walk and I was coming up to one of the play sets that were I passed by and there was a couple of ladies there. One young, other one old, looked like mom and child. Probably the girl was probably about 12, 14, I don't know. And uh, they were dark-skinned, and I, and, but they didn't really look like African. I thought, hmm, I wonder if they're New Guinean. So as I walked by, I got a little closer. I usually don't go quite that close. So I went a little closer and listened, and I could hear them talking, and I thought, sounds like they're New Guinean. And as I was just observing, uh, the lady says to me, oh, would you take our picture? She was trying to get a picture of me. I said, sure, I'll take a picture. And I asked her, by the way, where are you from? Oh, we're from Papua New Guinea. I thought so. I started talking to him in Pigeon, had a nice little talk, invited him to church. Uh, they go to the Seventh-day Adventist church and stuff. But um, I invited him along. Maybe they'll come sometime. I don't know. But, you know, there's people out there all around us. And this Christmas season is a time when people are more open than any other time of the year. I encourage you to pick up the Christmas invitation. Take a track along with it because that will help to explain things as well. But be an inviter. Invite somebody. Invite your neighbors. Invite people around you. Invite people at the shops. Invite people wherever you go. But let's do what we can to share this good news because Jesus Christ came to this earth for us to solve a problem that we couldn't save any other way. Solve any other way. We need Jesus and so does the world around us. And you can have a great part in that. Let's get involved.